my partner comes to town and we go walk on the property. And one of the first signs that this was going to be a little bit of a challenge was we're just walking around. And as I mentioned, we bought the property in November and in, in November that's deer hunting season in Texas. So we're just walking around. It's a two story property. And some guy had a deer hanging from the top of the balcony. He was like dressing the deer on our balcony of our property. And that was like, uh, I was like, Oh, you can't, I don't think oh you can do God. that. Here. That was a good little sign of, uh, of some of the challenges that we've had to deal with. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. They can get double-digit returns without the need to find, negotiate, close, and manage their properties. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us. And you can also find everything on Ellie Perlman. Today we have Michael Becker as a guest on the show. Michael is a principal at SPI Advisory and heads the SPI's Dallas office. Michael is a lifelong resident of North Texas and a graduate of the University of North Texas with a BBA in finance. He's married and has two young children. So a little bit more about Michael's professional career. He is a 15-year-old veteran commercial real estate banker and has originally and managed numerous portfolios of loans in all major asset classes. Over the last five years, Michael has been focusing exclusively on multifamily properties. As a portfolio manager, Michael directly oversaw the management and financial performance of C and B class multifamily properties he originated loans for, and as a result, he accumulated an exceedingly diverse network of suppliers, contractors, etc. And that gave him the ability to quickly and efficiently implement a breadth of value-add strategies for a fraction of a typical cost, which is a great advantage. And today, Michael is going to share with us a story about going from worst to first property in town. Uh, And with that, I would like to officially welcome Michael to the show. Hey, Michael, how are you? Ellie, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm uh, very impressed with your background, and I'm sure you you've had more of a fair share of stories to tell about real estate investing, and especially when it comes to multifamily. And I'm specifically interested in that story about going from worst to first when it comes to multifamily properties. So, if before we dive into the story, if you can give us a little bit of background about you, about you know where you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, my my professional background, I got into uh, real estate by being a vendor. I was a banker 
loading money to other people and kind of through that process realized I was on, on the wrong side of all these deals. It's better to be the, the borrower than the lender. And so, uh, so, so kind of went out and started like a lot of people did when kind of buying some small scale stuff, with my own capital. So I started in, I think it was either 2010 or 2011 with a one, one house, three bedroom, two bath, 1500 square foot of house in Mesquite, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. And then ended up, you know, doing 16 of those houses, rent houses, and just realized kind of through that process wasn't very scalable. And I reflected back to what I was doing all day, every day at work. So I decided to go out and transition over into multifamily. So I bought our first property, 120 unit deal in 2013. So as we recorded this at the end of 2018, we just closed on our 33rd property that we acquired. About 6,700 units is what we've done to date. And so far, uh, we've gone full cycle on 15 properties. So we sold 13 and we have two others that we refinanced, uh, return the capital, still own. So it's been a been a busy five or five, six years now. We currently own, let's see, about 4,500 units as, as we talk today. Predominantly, these deals are in Dallas-Fort Worth, which is, which is where I'm based. I'm based in Dallas and then my business partner is based in Austin. So we also own a couple assets down in the Austin markets. So those are two, Dallas-Fort Worth and Austin, Texas are the two markets that we focus on. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. You know, I think you also got into multifamily on the right time and you only know that, you know, hindsight is, is twenty twenty. but I think, you know, just accumulating so many properties since then, that's very, very impressive. And then, so <laughs> of course, walk us through like kind of, if you can kind of set up the background for, for me and the listeners, when we're, you know, talking about this specific property, what year was it? How did you find the property? Yeah, so this was the sixth property I purchased. So I when I when I first started out, I was still working at the bank and I bought four four properties, about eight hundred units, uh, before I decided to leave and go full time into it. So this was 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 I le- I left the bank, uh, bought my first property in thirteen, left the bank in early fourteen. We, we closed on this property in November of two thousand fourteen. So it would have been you know kind of late summer when we got brought this opportunity. I had bought five properties in a relatively short period of time in about the the prior year for that. And so I kind of proven myself out in the marketplace that I could do it. And a broker brought us this deal and it was off market. So it was not a widely marketed deal. The owner had owned it for, for many years and was kind of, you know, uh, we like to talk like kind of treated the property like an ATM to use that analogy. All he did was take money out of it. He put very little money into the deal. So it was, you know, relatively poor condition, but, you know, and the rents were low and the management was, was inefficient out there. So it was quite a bit of upside, both by, you know, increasing the rental rates. He also was not billing back the uh, water, sewer, trash, uh, trash and pest. So we had opportunity both increasing revenue through, through increasing the rents, as well as billing back some of the utilities to the tenants. And then his expenses were a little bit out of whack in a certain area. So in particular, his water bill was a little bit high and his gas bill was a little bit higher. So we had some opportunities come in to be a little bit more efficient with the expenses at the property. And so that's what we, we liked about the deal. And we, we like I said, we got brought the opportunity because we had performed uh, five times in a relatively short period of time. And so the broker had some confidence that we can you know, take this deal on and do what we say we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so you find this deal off market, you see that there's an opportunity to improve it because of mainly mismanagement. Uh, and as you put it, and I like, I like that phrase that, that the previous ownership used it as an ATA machine just took cash and uh, from the property and didn't really, you know, invest back in, in the property. So you buy this property, you know, you have a solid business plan, you know, the market you're from, you know, Texas, from that area. What was the first time that you've, you noticed that something, you know, is, is not going right? 
I mean, we walked in this deal knowing there was some challenges. So, mm-hmm. for example, current owner was putting used carpet in some of the units, and that's about the grossest thing I think I've, uh, I've heard of. So the tenants that would accept a property in that condition, you know, or, or tend to be because they don't have other alternatives to go to because they have, you know, credit, criminal, you know, various other issues. And so the tenant profile was a little, we, we knew would be a little bit rough and we knew we'd have a little bit of turnover. But, you know, when we get in there, I think it was a little bit worse than what we kind of anticipated even. It's kind of a funny story now at this point, but one of the, one of the first a few days after we bought the property, my partner comes to town and we go walk on the property. And one of the first signs that this was going to be a little bit of a challenge was we're just walking around. And as I mentioned, we bought the property in November. And in, in November, that's deer hunting season in Texas. So we're just walking around. It's a two-story property. And some guy had a deer hanging from the top of the balcony. He was like dressing the deer on our balcony of our property. And that was like, uh, I was like, oh, you can't. I don't think oh you can do God. that here. That was a good little sign of uh, of some of the challenges that we've had to deal with. We had uh, one of the tenants was a drug dealer, so we had to work, you know, work work them out of the property. And you know, we had we had some various issues. The previous manager for the seller, she was stealing money from them. Like people would have, they would put the, when the property would be vacant, they'd put the electricity in the property's name. For example, and then when they moved in, she said, "Well, we'll leave the electricity in my name, but you come to the office and pay me cash for the electricity." So the property's paying for all this electricity that for the tenants, and the manager was pocketing the cash and wow. things like that. So we had quite a few operational hurdles that we had to kind of overcome, and our occupancy got as low as I think we got to about eighty percent, which you know we typically try to hold about a ninety percent floor, and I think we cleared it down to eighty percent. So, you know, a 218 unit property built in, built in the 70s. So, uh, 218 units, I mean, we're, you know, 40 to 50 units of ours were vacant at one time. And that was definitely a little bit, uh, a little bit nerve wracking as we were going through and spending a fortune trying to fix all the various uh, problems. It's like playing a game of whack a mole every time you hit one, another would pop up. And we had to get, you know, basically, the first year of the property was, was very similar to that. And how do you feel during that first year? I mean, there's always, for me, when I look at a property, I mean, I understand that there's always a fine balance between how nice the property is and how much you're willing to to put, you know, into improving it because everybody wants to buy a nice property, but the real opportunity is where things are not that nice. So how would you, was it stressful for you during that year to be dealing with, you know, drug dealing and finding out that management has been, you know, stealing money? Yeah, so that, especially with that being, while well, that was my sixth property that we purchased, I'd only been actively owning uh, multifamily properties for about a year at that time. So that's one good thing about experience is uh, you kind of see similar things over and over again. And then uh, the benefit of experience is you you don't have to, you can react, kind of like to use the analogy that it's like going from college to the pros and football. The game is really, really fast when you start. And then once you're there for a while, I think it kind of slows down because you've kind of seen it. And I can like... I know what the right answer is today where, you know, a year ago, everything was a major decision for me and I had to stop and think what's the right thing to do. And then, you know, and it take a lot of time. And now if they see a similar, if I see something, chances are I've seen that same situation or something similar to it. 
and I have, you know, I have the ability to make a decision a lot quicker. So that first year was a little bit harrowing and it was a little bit uh, nerve wracking. But as you mentioned, the, uh, the challenges that we had at the property really was just an opportunity for us to come in and prove it, increase the value, which is what we were, you know, able to substantial amount of value and then it also didn't help that we bought it and, and the market was absolutely on fire and rents kept going up and cap rates compressed so that certainly uh, certainly helped out along the way too. Yeah absolutely I'm interested to know what tactic did you use to um, evict the drug dealer? We just basically uh, called the police on them essentially over and over and over again and eventually they just uh, one night just said hey, I don't think we even evicted him I think he just got his stuff and skipped out of skipped out of town. I believe, I believe he was, he wasn't even really resonate. He was like the son or grandson of one of the residents that was uh, on the property and causing a bunch of problems. So as soon as we got him kind of out, that took us probably five or six months before we finally, finally got out. And that was eventually kind of the, the point where we started kind of coming back up. Uh, you know, well, I've done, like I said, 33 of these, and they all have some level of value add. We buy a little nicer stuff today than, than what we, we bought uh, when we first started out. But all these deals are kind of described like it's like a check mark. So you always got to go down before you can go up. And mm -hmm. that's uh, every property. Sometimes it's a little deeper than you you would like. And then sometimes it's a little shallower, but they all kind of go down before they go up. This this was certainly kind of what we what we had here. And eventually we kind of, you know, once we got through that first six months, it started getting a little bit better. Then at the end of the year, we had, you know, basically touched every one of the leases. Because, you know, if you think about it, in the multifamily space, these leases typically are about 12 months long. And so you have mm -hmm. about, you know, one twelfth every month expire. So 8% of your property every month kind of turnover. And our turnover was, you know, in Texas, about 50% generally speak that stay and renew and 50% move out. I think on this property that first year it was closer to 80% moved out. So like everyone was going out because they didn't qualify or they had some sort of issue when we re-ran their lease or credit was was horrible or they had, you know, some, some criminal element that we didn't want to have on our property. And so it just kind of, you know, was just a lot. We just would go in, turn the unit, upgrade it, you know, get a better quality tenant. And then after about a year, you know, you start renewing leases that you signed. After about a year, and the, the quality of the profile of the, of the new tenant base was materially better than what was there before. And that's really kind of when it, when it stabilized our income skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. So you were basically repositioning the, the properties. And when you were doing that, were you using your own money or did you raise capital from investors? Yeah. So we bought this property. We bought it for 50,000 a door. It was just, I think it was 10.96 million or something like that. Just under 11 million. We had about a million dollar capital budget, closing costs. So all in all, we, I think we're just a little bit over 12 million all in on this deal. And so to do that, the back then you can get, get full 80% loans with Fannie Mae pretty easily. And so that's what we did. So we got a, got an 80% loan and then we ended up putting two points, a little bit over $2.7 million down on the deal back in November of 2014, we bought it. So, and then from that, uh, we really had two investors in the deal. We had two larger high net worth guys, both from, mm -hmm. from the Los Angeles area and uh, they invested in the deal with us here. Uh, today we do syndication, so we'll, we'll pull a little bit larger and have you know, like a hundred thousand dollar minimum and we'll you know pull a little bit larger groups. So when we first started out, we, we were fortunate that we had a couple, a handful of a couple of very wealthy guys that mistaked us on the first you know five or six deals that we did.
was it uh, hard to convince to find those investors and convince them to invest in that property? Because as you mentioned, you came kind of transformed it from worst to first, you know, in in that area. So located, you got an off market deal that that was one of the worst properties in the area. How do you convince an investor to invest in the worst property in the area? Luckily, we had done a few transactions with uh, with one of the guys, and then the other guy was the first deal with them. Well, I found when you get really, really high net worth guys, they ask a lot of questions, and it's not a quick conversion. So we had been working uh, with one of the investors on, on a handful of deals before, and so he understood and got it. I mean, he had just invested in a bunch of the deals, so he didn't want to do the entire amount. So that's why he put in about half the, half the equity, and the other guy put in the other half. That we ran, we put in some money and the rest we kind of split it 50 50. And then the other guy we had, I think we talked to for about a year, you know, just meeting after meeting after meeting and asking the same questions over and over again. Whether they had, and I could never really figure out if he just wasn't paying attention or he was just trying to see if I would change my answer to whatever mm-hmm. question he was asking me. He was, a, he was a little bit more of a challenge to get on board, but uh, eventually he, he decided to do a relatively small investment for him. I think he put in about 1.2 million or 1.3 million of it, something like that. And that was the first investment with them. But to your point, I mean, once he got comfortable with us, the, the deal made sense on paper because, I mean, the rents, uh, we could show documented rent comps right down the street that were getting, you know, $200 or $250 more in rent. And all we had to do was come in, you know, clean up the, the exterior of the property, cure some deferred maintenance. We did a paint job and couple other things and then go on the units and, you know, change up the flooring, appliances, light plumbing fixtures or hardware and make it look like the property down the street. And if our property looks like the one down the street, we should get the same amount of rent as they get. Yeah. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, this is a really, really simple business, which is what I like about it. It's not always easy to execute, but at its core, the principles are really, really simple. And these guys understood that. And it was a great location to the some market it was in was a city called Grapevine. It's one of the more desirable school districts in particular in the area. And so we knew that we'd have you know, a lot of families that want to live in, in our property. And so that was, uh, we just got to provide a little bit cleaner, safer, better product and they would, they would come. And we had, we had confidence that that would be the case. Mm-hmm. What happened with the, with the property? Do you still own it? So we, we bought it in late 14, about two years into it, in August of 16, we actually put uh, what's called a supplemental loan on it. So we got a Fannie Mae loan. And so uh, Fannie Mae allows basically a cash out, a second lien note. And so they gave us uh, all our money out. I think we put about $2.8 million supplemental loan on it. So we got all our money out in about two years of the deal. And then we ended up owning it for another two years. And then uh, August, July, I'm sorry, July of this year, July 2018, we sold it. So I think we, we paid $10.96 million for it. And we sold it for $23.5 million. And so we had all our money out plus some when we owned it between the cash flow and the refinance. And then we put over $10 million on a 1031 accommodator and ended up buying a brand new property built in 2017. And then a property built in, in the year 2000 with the proceeds a couple months after we, we sold it. So it was, a, it was a great result. I think I think I looked at my IRR before we started recording this. I think it was a 65 over a four-year period and it was like a 4.5 wow. equity multiple. So this was by far the biggest equity multiple that we've uh, we've ever done. So hopefully, uh, if they can all be that good, it would it would be great. You know, we certainly, like I said, I think we did a good job. We identified the asset, we did a good job, you know, managing it. We did cost-effective renovations. And then, uh, you know, the market was absolutely on fire. I think we sold it for about a five cap, bought it for like north of an eight cap, sold it for a five cap. And we you know, pretty much almost doubled our net operating income along the way. Wow. So if you do that, you can make some money. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing, amazing deal. 
Wow, way to go. Well, great. Well, thank you for, you know, sharing the, the, the story with us. If you, Michael, if you could look back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? What piece of advice would you give yourself? The way I came up in the business, I was a vendor. Like I said, I was, I was a banker and coming out of college, you know, I got a job uh, at a bank and the credit department learned how to do it and started originating mortgages. You know, then I, I was a good boy along the way and saved my money and lived below my means and saved my money and accumulated some capital. And then I started, you know, started, like I said, in the single family space and formed more capital and then had some money to go put at, put at risk. So I don't think I really made any, a whole lot of terrible mistakes along the way. You know, I certainly would have probably gone a little quicker. And for what I had in my background, I didn't necessarily need to go to the single family space because I had a background and I had some resources. I could have jumped in a couple of years earlier and done larger scales. So I think when, you know, anyone that's starting out, I mean, I think, you know, first and foremost, this is not to be your no money down business, you know, you have to have some level of capital itself. You don't have to have it all. Obviously, you can go out and syndicate a deal and raise capital from other people, which is what I, you know, do for a living. But you have to have some money and you have to, you know, form some capital. And, and when you're ready, put it at risk, you know, make sure you get a base level of education. So listening to the podcast like yours is a good place to start. But, you know, maybe even hire a mentor and join a program. There's many of them around the country that are pretty reputable and good and that's a good way a lot of people kind of shortcut or you can maybe if you're really serious about it you want to be intentional get a job like I did that is like a vendor and in the industry you know so if you want to get in the multifamily space you know being a lender was a great background because I got to get paid to analyze deal after deal after deal every day all day and I got paid to be networked with all the brokers and property management companies and, and contractors and vendors and all the various people that are in the in the industry I got you know, paycheck why I got education. So that was, that was a very good thing to do. So if anyone's aspiring to get in the business, that might be an avenue and, or you can just, you know, hire someone to mentor you and join a reputable program. And I've seen a lot of people be extremely successful starting, starting with that path. For sure. mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much for that. Michael, where can people find you? Two ways you can find more information about us. So first and foremost, I host a podcast, much like Ellie. It's called the Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. And let's say you can go to oldcapitalpodcast.com or you can just simply go to iTunes or Stitcher or pretty much anywhere you're probably hearing me on Ellie's podcast. You can just type in Old Capital and you'll find us. We talk uh, so only about multifamily and uh, Old Capital. And my partner, Paul Peoples, is, is Old Capital. And we interview a lot of people that are his clients that borrow money from Old Capital. And they um, you, you talk to them and or you know, vendors like uh, brokers and management companies and other vendors in the business. So specifically about podcasts. So if you're not an apartment nerd, it's probably not the one for you. So that's, that's really what it's about. And then the other way really is uh, the way we operate and I do businesses under SPI advisory. So you can just go to our website, which is www.spi, like spyadvisory.com. And there, there's a contact us form. If you fill it out, I'm always happy to have a 10 or 15 minute telephone call with people that want to learn a little bit more about what we do. Mm -hmm. All right. Perfect. But thank you so much, Michael, for being on the show today and uh, telling us a story that that was a great story about a little bit of risk that you took and brought a property from worst to first with great, great, great returns. So I really appreciate it. And I hope that, you know, to keep in touch with you and probably pretty soon. All right. Thanks for having me on, Ellie.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.